1: Away we go! Episode 342 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Thursday, June 23rd, 2022. It is NBA Draft Night tonight. Big night for our Wizards. It is the day after a congressional hearing on the Commander's Workplace misconduct scandal. Did you watch? Did you listen? Did you follow? Oh, the hearing was quite the show, and the day ended up being quite the day. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Nice to have you with us. Dan Snyder is being subpoenaed. Yeah, that was announced at Wednesday's hearing, which Dan, of course, did not attend. Uh, Also, Congress, just hours before the start of the hearing, released quite a bit of evidence making Dan Snyder and the NFL look even worse in the workplace misconduct scandal and how it has been handled. There is so much to unpack from what went down on Wednesday for the commanders with Congress. Next segment, we will begin the unpacking. Uh, I'll take you through what mattered the most from Wednesday, including a letter that Dan and Tanya Snyder and Jason Wright sent to commanders employees and a statement that Ron Rivera put out On Wednesday night. And then I'll welcome on the official counsel of the Al Galdi podcast, Neil Mullen. Uh, Neil is an adjunct professor at George Mason's law school, the Antonin Scalia Law School. Uh, Neil, as a lawyer, practiced labor and employment law for three plus decades. So the commander's workplace misconduct scandal is right in his wheelhouse. So we're going to get great perspective on what's going on here for Dan Snyder, the commanders in Congress, and You know, after everything that has transpired over the last 48 hours or so, we still don't know where all of this is taking us when it comes to Dan, but I do know this. Dan continues to look worse, not better, and so all we can do is continue to ride this, man. I don't know where this is going to take us. I think anyone who tells you with certainty that he or she knows where all of this is going to take us is lying to you. You don't know, okay? Because at some point, I do believe there is a breaking point for the other NFL owners with Dan Snyder. And it feels like every drip brings us closer to that breaking point. But it still may be that we never get to that breaking point. I don't know. Uh, But, man. Uh, so much stuff to take in with this scandal, and uh, it is not good what continues to come out about what went down with our football team for years. Uh, also on the show, all post-game Wednesday nights, Game 2 in the 2022 Battle of the Beltways, what was Game 2 of a two-game series for the Nationals at the Orioles, what ended up being a 7 nothing rain-shortened, six-inning Nats loss at the O's. On Wednesday night. Uh, Why this game was not called sooner, I do not know, Uh, but the game ended up being a mess of a night in terms of not one but two rain delays. Although we did have Austin Hayes hitting for the cycle over just the six innings. Uh, We also had Patrick Corbin struggling again, but also Tyler Wells doing well again. Uh, Hey, rest in peace, Brig Owens. Uh, I hated seeing this on Wednesday. Brig Owens has died. He was 79. Uh, Brig Owens was a star safety for the Redskins in the 1960s and 1970s. He was before my time, but I certainly am aware of who Brig Owens was. He was taken by the Dallas Cowboys in the seventh round of the 1965 NFL Draft out of Cincinnati. Uh, The Cowboys traded Brig to the Redskins in 1966. He played for the Skins from 1966 to 1977. So Brig was a star on those great Redskins teams of the 1970s under George Allen. Brig Owens is second in team history in regular season interceptions. Uh, Daryl Green is number one with 54. Brig is number two with 36. But Brig is number one in team history in regular season interception return yards. 686. Uh, Brig had a very successful post-playing career. He finished law school. He worked for the NFL Players Association. He had a successful real estate development company. Uh, Like I said, Brig was before my time, but I interviewed him in 2020. Really nice man and a great voice. Uh, If you ever heard Brig Owens speak, the guy had a very distinct voice, but uh, all the best to Brig Owens and his family. A tremendous player and person for the Redskins. You know, there's something poignant about the news of a class act and all time great, like Brig Owens passing away, breaking on the day of all of this ugliness with the team with this congressional hearing. You know, it's almost like the news of the passing of Brig Owens served as a reminder of, oh, yeah, uh, our football team doesn't have to be the way that we are finding out the team was via all of this congressional inquiry. You know, there is another side uh, that can be the case. And Brig Owens is representative of that side. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the podcast at Yahoo.com. Lots of reaction to the congressional hearing on Wednesday on the Commander's Workplace misconduct scandal. Tweet from Clark McMillan writes Clark, I thought the committee would be professional and put pressure or release more damning information that could possibly put pressure on the NFL owners to make Dan Snyder go away who was I kidding? We used to be a proper country. Tweet from Jackie, a.k.a. Jay Lightning, writes, Jay Lightning, to be honest with you, I think Dan Snyder has something on the NFL owners and Roger Goodell. How can you make the owner of the Carolina Panthers sell his team, but Danny boy get to keep Washington? Ask yourself that question after all these accusations. Tweet from Chris Jackson. On Dan Snyder. I hope he gets stripped of his ownership, even if he is innocent (laughs) of all allegations. The man is the devil. Tweet from DMV Sports Dude. Seems like Dan Snyder's decision not to show up has been vindicated to be honest. Uh, I got this email from Stanley Evans on Dan Snyder and the commander off Wednesday's congressional hearing, right? Stanley, what's even worse about this whole thing is that we're not even respected around the league anymore. I know that that has been obvious, but the older that I've gotten, the more that it has been painful to realize this. We used to be so respected in the division and in the NFL, but now when you think of Washington, you think of everything else besides football. Dan Snyder really is the worst owner in the history of sports. It's not even close. I believe that this puts even more pressure on the players and Rod Rivera to perform because they know exactly how the league perceives them. If they continue to lose, the laughingstock will just grow louder and louder until the team fires Rivera and hires somebody else and then the vicious cycle will spin again. Until Snyder removes himself as owner or the team somehow starts winning consistently, this team will never be respected by the fans, let alone the league. I'm just a fan who wants to win. I believe that is every fan's goal. Uh, Stanley, thank you for the email. I think that you're right. Uh, Every fan of a team wants that team to win. Uh, Probably More than anything, what the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have had for decades now is this lethal combination of bad on the field and bad off the field. Like, it would be one thing if the team had been good on the field, but bad off the field, or if the team had been bad on the field, but good off the field, but that the team for decades has been bad, really bad, both on and off the field. That is quite the double whammy. That is a brutal one-two punch as a fan of the team, as a supporter of the team. And uh, that's why there are fewer fans of the team and fewer supporters of the team, certainly at least on a percentage basis now as compared to 20 years ago. Well, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace will not only support you, but fight for you. If you or someone who you care about has been wronged and you need legal representation, do not hesitate to contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace, if you have the case, contact Paulson and Ace. Our legal analyst, Neil Mullen, will join us next segment. What I want to do this segment is review everything that has gone on with the commander's workplace misconduct scandal over the last few days, because it's easy to lose track of things. You can always tweet me At Al Galdi. I got this tweet from Mike on Wednesday afternoon regarding the congressional hearing on Wednesday on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Wrote Mike, I started to watch the hearing and then remembered something you often say you follow sports so I don't have to. This is one of those days, my friend. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Mike, I hear you. And you are right. Uh, One of the mantras of this podcast is I follow sports so you don't have to. I do the heavy lifting, so you don't have to. Uh, You know, since the many scandals slash controversies for the NFL team we now call the Commanders erupted in July 2020, we have had plenty of days and periods that have been filled with news and reports and bombshells. You know, eventful, chaotic 24, 36, 48-hour periods for our team are nothing new. At this point, that said, we starting on Tuesday evening and then through early Wednesday afternoon had three major developments in the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, This all started on Tuesday evening when we had the report from The Washington Post providing details on what had allegedly happened between our current commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and a then Redskins employee, In April 2009, resulting in a reported $1.6 million settlement. The alleged incident occurred on Dan's private plane while flying back from the Academy of Country Music Awards in Las Vegas. According to the report from the Washington Post on Tuesday evening, the former Redskins employee, quote, accused Snyder of asking her for sex, groping her, and attempting to remove her clothes, end quote. Then on Wednesday morning, Hours before the 11 a.m. Eastern start of a congressional hearing in the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, the committee of Congress that has been investigating the commanders, the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, released, as the committee called it, "quote new evidence uncovered by the committee that sheds light on team motor Dan Snyder's role in creating a hostile work environment and at the commanders and his efforts to discredit victims and witnesses by launching a shadow investigation to influence the NFL's internal investigation into workplace misconduct at the team, And quote. Uh, now that's a mouthful, but what this release from the committee did was make Dan Snyder look a whole lot worse. And you would say to yourself, oh boy, that's hard to do, right? Well, yeah, but sure enough, Danny was made to look a whole lot worse by what the committee put out there, On Wednesday morning, the committee obtained information that the committee said illustrated, quote, the extent of Mr. Snyder's role in creating a toxic workplace at the commander's, end quote. uh, How about what the committee listed in terms of evidence? The committee listed the following items as evidence, quote, Mr. Snyder's former chief operating officer, David Pawkin, testified at a committee deposition that when Mr. Snyder learned that a member of the team's coaching staff had groped a public relations employee, Mr. Snyder refused to take action against the coach and instead directed that the victim stay away from the coach. Mr. Pawkin explained that Mr. Snyder fired female employees who engaged in consensual relationships. With male members of the team's football operations describing one such situation, Mr. Parkin explained the female employees were fired. The male employee was there were no repercussions other than he was restricted from additional sex with the cheerleaders. A former longtime employee described how the team's culture glorified drinking and womanizing and recalled an instance when Mr. Snyder had pressured him to drink excessively. He explained that employees were afraid to speak out because they had seen so many others lose their jobs. End quote. And that was just part of what the committee released on Wednesday morning. Additionally, the committee obtained evidence that the committee said showed, quote, Dan Snyder launched a shadow investigation to discredit his accusers in the eyes of the NFL. And, quote, the committee listed the following such evidence, quote, lawyers for Mr. Snyder used their shadow investigation to create a 100-slide dossier with private emails, text messages, telephone records, and social media posts from journalists, victims, and witnesses who had made credible public accusations of harassment Against the commanders. During the Wilkinson investigation, as in the Beth Wilkinson investigation, Mr. Snyder and his lawyers sent private investigators to the homes of former cheerleaders, offered hush money to try to dissuade them from cooperating with the investigation, and gathered thousands of emails from former commander's president, Bruce Allen, in an effort to demonstrate that Bruce Allen had created a toxic environment at the Washington Commanders, Mr. Snyder's lawyers had direct access to the NFL and the law firm conducting the investigation and secretly shared information from their shadow investigation in an apparent attempt to influence the Wilkinson investigation, end quote. So let's hit pause right there because in just that passage that I just read to you, there is so much to discuss. First of all, remember, the whole thing with the Beth Wilkinson investigation was that Dan Snyder was going to cooperate, right? Well, at least according to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, not only did Dan Snyder not cooperate with the Beth Wilkinson investigation, Dan Snyder actively worked against the Beth Wilkinson investigation. And this isn't necessarily new, but the details of this are new. We had not heard previously about this 100-slide dossier with private emails, text messages, Telephone records and social media posts from journalists, victims, and witnesses who had made credible public accusations of harassment against the commanders. And then we have this that Dan gathered emails of Bruce Allen in an effort to demonstrate that Bruce Allen had created a toxic environment at the Washington commanders. Think about two things. Number one, what triggered all of this congressional involvement with the commanders? Right? What was it? The leaked Bruce Allen emails from his time as Redskins president. And those emails got out there this past October. And it was the leaking of those emails that triggered Congress ultimately getting involved with the commanders. So the theory has been that Dan Snyder leaked the emails. And in one of the great ironies of all time, Dan, as the leaker of the emails, reignited a workplace misconduct scandal for his team. That was essentially done. Now, we don't know with certainty that Dan leaked the Bruce emails, but that is the theory. And, you know, I haven't heard anyone else suggest anyone better in terms of who might have leaked the Bruce Allen emails. So I think that's something to keep in the back of your mind. But the other thing is this this strategy of Dan trying to blame Bruce for the toxic environment with the team. Understand, Dan hired Bruce as Redskins executive vice president slash general manager. Which was Bruce's original title, in December 2009. Many slash most of the alleged incidents in this workplace misconduct scandal happened before December 2009. The two biggest accusations specific to Dan Snyder happened before December 2009. So, anyone with a basic understanding of how time works would see right through (laughs) this excuse of, well, it's Bruce's fault. Really? Well, you hired Bruce in December of 2009. How come there's the Tiffany Johnston allegations against Dan Snyder from 2005 or 2006? How come there's what allegedly happened on Dan Snyder's plane in April 2009? Both of those incidents, which are sexual assault accusations against Dan Snyder, happened before December 2009. So the whole Bruce Allen thing to me is really whacked out. There's more to what the House Committee on Oversight and Reform put out on Wednesday morning. The committee in this release on Wednesday morning also hit the NFL and hit the NFL quite hard, uh, saying, quote, the committee obtained evidence that the NFL was aware of Mr. Snyder's efforts to influence Ms. Wilkinson's investigation and harass and intimidate witnesses through the use of private investigators and abusive subpoenas, but failed to take meaningful action to prevent them. Ultimately, the NFL was briefed on the Wilkinson investigation's findings 16 times, including at least two personal briefings for Mr. Goodell, but chose not to disclose the findings to the public. End quote. So we had the Washington Post report on Tuesday evening. We had what the House Committee on Oversight and Reform released on Wednesday morning then we had the actual congressional hearing on Wednesday. Uh, the hearing started right around 11 a.m. Eastern, ended up lasting for nearly three hours. Much of the hearing featured the virtual testimony of NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Of course, not testifying at the hearing was Dan Snyder, who had twice denied the committee's request For Dan to testify at the hearing. Now, the hearing devolved into the partisan charades that I think most people expected. As you likely know by now, Democrats in Congress have been for congressional involvement with the commanders, Republicans in Congress have been against congressional involvement with the commanders. And so we ended up getting a lot of interrupting and a lot of sidetracking. You know, this hearing was supposed to be about the commander's workplace misconduct scandal, but the hearing ended up including commentary on questions about and or references to a variety of things having little to nothing to do with the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. I kept track as best I could of all of the non-commander's workplace misconduct scandal topics that came up over the course of the hearing. Uh, This may well not be a complete list, but here's just a sampling of the non-commander's workplace misconduct scandal topics that came up during this hearing on, yes, the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Deflategate. Jack Del Rio Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports, concussions, inflation, racism, policing, immigration, the fentanyl crisis, the baby formula crisis, a tampon crisis. I didn't even know that we had that, but we apparently do. All of these things came up at various points in various ways. In this nearly three hour hearing on what was supposed to be the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. If you have ever wondered why Congress isn't considered to be a model of efficiency, uh, this hearing was your answer. But all of that aside, we did have major news at the hearing. The hearing wasn't just a bunch of nothing, the hearing ended up being a something. And the something largely had to do with what Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, the chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, announced. She announced her intent to issue a subpoena of Dan Snyder next week. Take a listen.
2: If the NFL is unwilling or unable to hold Mr. Snyder accountable, then I am prepared to do so. That is why I am announcing now my intent to issue a subpoena for the testimony of Mr. Snyder for a deposition next week. The committee will not be deterred in its investigation to uncover the truth of workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders. If the NFL is unwilling or unable to hold Mr. Snyder accountable, then I am prepared to do so. That is why I am announcing now my intent to issue a subpoena for the testimony of Mr. Snyder for a deposition next week. The committee will not be deterred in its investigation to uncover the truth of workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders. If the NFL is unwilling or unable to hold Mr. Snyder accountable, then I am prepared to do so. That is why I am announcing now my intent to issue a subpoena for the testimony of Mr. Snyder for a deposition next week. The committee will not be deterred in its investigation to uncover the truth of workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders. If the NFL is unwilling or unable to hold Mr. Snyder accountable, then I am prepared to do so. That is why I am announcing now my intent to issue a subpoena for the testimony of Mr. Snyder for a deposition next week. The committee will not be deterred in its investigation to uncover the truth of workplace misconduct at the Washington Commanders.
1: So there you go. You know, I've been asking the question and discussing the topic of, well, where is the subpoena of Dan Snyder? If the House Committee on Oversight and Reform truly wants Dan Snyder to testify so badly, why isn't Congress using its subpoena power? Well, now Congress is using its subpoena power. So that's big news. Now, where it takes us, we're not quite sure. We're going to get into that next segment with Neil Mullen. But that is significant that Congress is, in fact, going to be issuing a subpoena of Dan Snyder. Although keep in mind, the subpoena is not for another hearing on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. The subpoena is for a deposition next week, and we'll get into the differences uh, between a hearing and a deposition with Neil Mullen next segment. There's one other thing here, and that is something that came out on Wednesday afternoon. Our commanders, co owners, and co CEOs, uh, Dan and Tanya Snyder, along with team president Jason Wright, uh, they sent out a lengthy letter to employees of the commanders on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I will not read the entire letter to you. I will read the first page of the letter to you. Quote To our Washington commanders team members, subject a reminder of two years of progress. We hope you are enjoying the start of the summer and are as excited as we are about the upcoming season, which will be here before we know it. Even though we'd like to be focusing our attention on preparing for action on the football field, we wanted to reach out and address some of the recent news about the team. As we are sure you have seen in the media, a congressional committee has been looking into the NFL's handling of its investigation of the Washington commander's workplace culture. While we respect the committee's desire to learn more about how workplace culture issues can be addressed, some of the comments in the media have portrayed our team in a harsh and negative manner that does not reflect who we are as an organization today. Nor do they acknowledge that for the past two years we have been dedicated to making much needed and meaningful changes to our workplace culture and improving our diversity, equity, and and inclusion practices team-wide. Importantly, we recognize that none of these changes could have occurred and been maintained so carefully without all of you. We feel these continuing criticisms fail to recognize and greatly undervalue your daily commitment to excellence in the workplace. As leaders, it is our responsibility to speak out and validate your hard work, credibility, and ethics. Creating greater and more fulfilling work experiences and career opportunities for all of you is the main reason we have been so committed to transforming our workplace culture, and we are very proud of what we have accomplished together. While the work on creating and maintaining a positive, empowering, and inclusive culture at the Washington Commanders will never be complete, we believe our record shows a genuine example of how quickly and comprehensively a transformation of culture can occur, end quote. And then much of the rest of the letter is about we've done this and we've done that. And you know what? To the commander's credit, they have done a lot of stuff, okay? I mean, the commanders have become very diverse and very inclusive, and the commanders are not shy about telling you how diverse and inclusive they have become. This is something that I have not loved. Okay, and I get that there's kind of a double-edged sword here of, well, people want change. When the commanders try to tell you about the change that the team has enacted, people like me say, well, stop bragging so much about what you are when you weren't that way for so long. So I understand that there is that double-edged sword aspect of things, but I got to tell you. I have very little interest in hearing and seeing the commanders pat themselves on the back as often as they have in recent years about how diverse and inclusive they are. You don't get to be one way for so long and then you stop being that way and then five minutes later you say, see, see, look at us, praise us, shower us with gifts because we're so much better now than everybody else. Like, no, why don't we wait a little while? And then maybe we can start to give you praise for being as diverse and inclusive uh, as you say you are. But that was part of a lengthy letter that Dan and Tanya Snyder and Jason Wright sent to Commander's employees on Wednesday afternoon. And we were not done because then on Wednesday night, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera issued a statement. On Twitter, and there was a good bit to Ron's statement, quote, with all due respect to the proceedings, I want to clarify a few things. When Dan and Tanya Snyder were in the process of hiring me, they asked me to do two things, win and help us change our culture. So to be clear, on January 2nd, 2020, the day I was hired, we started putting into place tangible protocols in our efforts to correct any inappropriate workplace issues and improve our workplace environment. The Snyders were very deliberate in finding the best person to run the business side, and I was consulted throughout the process. We agreed that Jason Wright was the best person, not because he checked off a box as a minority, but because of his experience as an NFL player, his education, and work experience as a partner with McKinsey & Company. Jason has been nothing but exceptional in hiring a talented and diverse group of people to run the business side. Throughout the fall of 2020, the organization saw many new standards put in place and protocols for employees to voice and address any issues, as well as putting an NFC East division winning team on the field. When the Wilkinson report was completed in the spring 2021 on behalf of the NFL, our organization had already put into place or was in the process of implementing the suggestions mentioned in the report. These investigations into inappropriate workplace issues predates my employment. I cannot change the past, but I would hope that our fans, the NFL, and Congress can see that we are doing everything in our power To never repeat those workplace issues and know that our employees are respected, valued, and can be heard. Change the culture. Check, win, working on it. Go, commanders, Coach Rivera. End quote. So that was a statement from Ron Rivera that came out on Wednesday night. Again, Ron tweeted out. That statement. And, you know, that was a nice statement in a lot of ways. And I can appreciate Ron saying, hey, (laughs) when it comes to winning, we're still working on it. Yeah, you are. Uh, But this thing of, you know, change the culture check mission accomplished. uh, Hold on a second here. Okay, not so fast on that. Congress's Committee on Oversight and Reform on Wednesday morning released as the committee called it, quote, new evidence uncovered by the committee That sheds light on team owner Dan Snyder's role in creating a hostile work environment at the commanders and his efforts to discredit victims and witnesses by launching a shadow investigation to influence the NFL's internal investigation into workplace misconduct at the team. End quote. That second part there. Efforts to discredit victims and witnesses by launching a shadow investigation to influence the NFL's internal investigation into workplace misconduct at the team. That all allegedly happened after January 2nd, 2020. So when Ron Rivera says change the culture check, uh, no. Now, I do think that improvements have been made, okay? But Dan Snyder is still the owner of the team. And Dan Snyder, at least according to Congress, perpetuated a major disruption of the Beth Wilkinson investigation, a disruption that included harassing and intimidating witnesses. That's not changing the culture for the better. And again, that all allegedly happened after January 2nd, 2020. I can appreciate where Ron Rivera is coming from. I'm sympathetic uh, to all of the stuff that Ron has had to deal with some of which he had no idea that he would have to deal with when he took over as head coach of the team. We now call the Commanders on January 2nd, 2020. But I think we need a slower roll when it comes to saying change the culture, check, mission accomplished. I think improvements have been made. I think that's pretty clear. But uh, there's still the guy at the top. His name is Donny Boy, and he still is in place as the owner of the team. And he is the root cause. He is the source of all of this workplace misconduct scandal stuff. We all know that he's still there. And if you go by what was put out by Congress on Wednesday morning, uh, his behavior anyway, hasn't changed nearly as much as it has needed to change. All right. So with all of that as a setup, uh, we up next, will welcome on legal analyst Neil Mullen to make sense of everything. Neil is straight ahead.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal
1: All right. For high level legal analysis of what has gone down in the commander's workplace misconduct scandal over the last few days, uh, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now our high level legal analyst. He is the official counsel of the Al Galdi podcast. Neil Mullen. Uh, Neil, as a lawyer, practiced labor and employment law. For three-plus decades, so this Commander's Workplace Misconduct Scandal is right in Neil's area of expertise. Neil is an adjunct professor at George Mason's Law School, the Antonin Scalia Law School. Uh, He is a loyal listener of this podcast. Uh, You can follow Neil on Twitter at N.D. Mullen, which is spelled M-O-L-L-E-N. Neil, that was quite the Commander's Workplace Misconduct Scandal hearing that we had with Congress on Wednesday. How are you? (laughs)
3: really good. That was uh, quite a gunk rodeo. Um, Wow.
1: Uh, I think that wow is the perfect word to capture what went down at this congressional hearing on Wednesday on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Well, let's just get right to the biggest item from the hearing on Wednesday, and that is Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, announcing her intent to issue a subpoena of commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder, for a deposition next week. Uh, What do you make of that? And what do you think is coming here?
3: Well, typically the committee would try to work this out uh, cooperatively and avoid going through the subpoena route. So it's not a surprise that they tried to go down that route, but obviously uh, Dan Snyder was having none of that. Um, So this presents Dan with some... uh, really unappealing choices uh it could show up uh, but that would be incredibly uncomfortable He'd be, he'll be asked a lot of questions that he really doesn't want to answer and unlike Goodell who for better or worse is practiced at this and has an awful lot of sort of professional background in answering questions like that we know that uh Dan Snyder is not particularly adept in that scenario. So he obviously would rather avoid it. Um, He could simply not show up, in which case the committee would vote to uh, cite him for contempt of Congress. Um, And that's not self-executing, right? So what would end up happening is there would be a court proceeding they would have to go to court and try to enforce the subpoena um, and there would be some process in the district court i mean the the, the whole january 6 committee process has taught us an awful lot about how that goes um the problem for uh, snyder is that unlike some of the administration officials from the trump administration who have been you know trying to avoid contempt proceedings, um, or avoid the, the process, the, the, a subpoena from a committee. Um, there's no executive privilege, there's no constitutional privilege to claim, he can't even really claim the Fifth Amendment, and if he tried, you know, unlike a criminal proceeding, the prosecutor can't comment to the jury, look, the defendant has taken the Fifth, and you should take an adverse inference imprim- 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 from his refusal to testify. In a civil proceeding, the jury or a finder of fact is permitted to infer guilt from the refusal to testify, from the invocation of the Fifth Amendment. So it's a really bad look. I mean, you can imagine what the stories would look like if Dan simply refused to testify, was held in contempt by the committee, and had to go through that process in court. Now, you know, Congress... Uh, Everybody tells us that Congress is going to change parties in January. Um, That's six months away. Is it possible that Dan could avoid a day of reckoning by slow rolling the litigation? Perhaps. That's a long time. That's a lot of time to eat up on something like a motion to uh, enforce a subpoena. Um, It's hard for me to see how he could delay enough to allow a um, presumed Republican committee to withdraw the subpoena in January. So he's got no good choices here.
1: What about quashing the subpoena? Is that a reasonable route for Dan Snyder to take?
3: Not really. I mean, we can all debate about whether uh, this committee... um, ought to be spending its time on something else. I mean, that's a legitimate conversation to have, I tend to think. I mean, civil rights is within the jurisdiction of this committee. So the three questions that a court would ask uh, in reviewing a motion to quash the subpoena are, did the committee authorize the subpoena? And obviously, the chairwoman says that she's going to subpoena and she's got the votes on the committee to authorize the subpoena whether the subpoena is um uh, in aid of um fact gathering for some legitimate valid legislative purpose and as i said the committee has civil rights within its umbrella so clearly trying to obtain information about toxic workplaces um is within their jurisdiction and third is whether the subpoena is seeking information that's pertinent to the legislative purview of the committee. And, you know, you can say that um, there are a lot of companies that the committee could inquire of on the subject of toxic workplaces and, and uh, protecting employees from uh, predatory employers and that sort of thing. But, you know, the committee's going to pick a high profile employer. They could pick, you know, some plastics manufacturer in Waukegan and nobody would pay any attention to it. Mm -hmm. So they've got in their hometown, in Congress's hometown, an exceptionally high-profile employer and a um, CEO who's right out of central casting as a villain. So I don't think there's any way that a court would quash the subpoena. I think the subpoena would be enforced – And, um, as I say, there really aren't very many good alternatives for Snyder at this point.
1: Well, I know that you watched a good bit of the congressional hearing on Wednesday on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, what came out on Tuesday evening, the Washington Post report providing details on the alleged incident on Dan Snyder's plane in April, 2009, and then the release by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform on Wednesday morning, hours before the hearing, and then the hearing itself. None of it has made Dan Snyder look better. Uh, Dan, uh, not so coincidentally, did not testify at this hearing. He did not show up to the hearing, uh, despite multiple requests from the House Committee on Oversight and Reform for Dan to testify at the hearing. But testifying at the hearing on Wednesday was the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, And the presumption was that Roger was there to take a bullet for Dan. And I thought that in a lot of ways, that's precisely what Roger did. Uh, Clearly, the NFL has not handled this commander's workplace misconduct scandal in the best of ways, just as Dan Snyder and the commanders did not handle the team's workplace misconduct scandal in the best of ways. I mean, it's so obvious that Dan has things to hide. I think everybody knows that at this point. But in terms of the performance by Roger before Congress, on Wednesday, because that's really what Roger was doing, right? This was a performance. Uh, What did you make of the performance by Roger?
3: Well, um, you know, he was getting whipsawed by questions from various corners of the committee that had nothing to do with the commanders or Dan Snyder, why, you know, Portnoy can't go to NFL games. (laughs) It's just incredible, uh, the, the, the misdirection. Yeah, uh, we want to know. We want to talk about Jack Del Rio and his his tweets. Um, and I thought, you know, just from a theater standpoint, that he's reasonably adept at handling the kinds of questions he got. The problem is that um, the NFL story has not been entirely consistent, and his performance with respect to managing the investigation and uh, bringing. Dan to heal has been poor. And so there was an awful lot of questioning along those lines, and he had no good answers for those. I mean, his whole idea about the uh, common interest privilege or common interest agreement is just, um, he really had no good answers for that.
1: Among the many things that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform released in the hours prior to the congressional hearing on Wednesday on the commander's workplace misconduct scandal were some things having to do with the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Um, You know, you and I have talked about how there probably isn't this written report for the Beth Wilkinson investigation that so many people want released. That said, that doesn't mean that there aren't things written down pertaining to the investigation uh, that people might want released. Do you think that we are getting closer to uh, tangible items from the Beth Wilkinson investigation being released?
3: Well, there actually was a reference in the the 29 pages that the committee released. There actually was a reference in there to two written Status reports. I don't know. I'd certainly like to know what those are.
4: Yeah. But here, here's the thing. Um, and I'm far be it for me to take
3: up the standard for Dan and argue for his uh, side in all this. But if there's no written report, and we've been told over and over again that there isn't, and the committee seems to accept the fact that there is no written report, uh, the final written findings from uh, Beth Wilkinson. And the only thing that exists are attorney notes of interviews that were held with various witnesses. And you know, you heard Goodell saying that his principal goal here is to protect their confidentiality, and you can believe that if you want. But um, the problem is that those notes are privileged, they're attorney work product. And the common interest agreement between Snyder and the NFL says that neither can waive the privilege that attaches to those notes without both agreeing to waive it. Mm-hmm. So Snyder will never agree to waive it, and that means that Goodell can't waive it if that agreement is enforceable. You and I you and I, talked about this before. The whole theory behind that common interest agreement is that the NFL and the commanders and Dan Snyder are all of a like mind, have the same interest in um, strategizing and pursuing that strategy in the context of this investigation, that they have a common interest. But it's hard to believe, for two reasons, it's hard to believe that that's true. First of all, uh, you know, the NFL is investigating whether Dan, and his organization have committed grievous wrongs. And Dan is the target of the investigation. Since when does the cop and the perp have a common interest, (laughs) right? So the whole idea that this is a common interest agreement strikes me as being odd. And then you read the 29 pages that the committee released this morning, which details all of the efforts that Snyder made to interfere with Beth Wilkinson and her investigation to keep her from talking to witnesses, to intimidate those witnesses. It's clear that if if the NFL's goal in all this was to get to the bottom of it, find out what went wrong, and um, to resolve the investigation by thoroughly and completely doing this fact finding, clearly the evidence shows that Snyder was not of a like mind. Had no common interest with the NFL in that regard because he's trying to obstruct the investigation at every turn. So the question is whether that common interest agreement is actually enforceable. But if it is, the agreement says that the two parties have to agree together to waive the privilege with respect to any of the materials generated in the investigation. And of course, you know, Snyder will never do that.
1: We're talking Dan Snyder, the commanders and Congress with Neil Mullen, adjunct professor at George Mason's Law School, the Antonin Scalia Law School. Neil, as a lawyer, practiced labor and employment law for three-plus decades. You certainly could argue that the most significant item over the last few days regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal is what the Washington Post reported on Tuesday evening. Details of this infamous alleged incident on Dan Snyder's plane in April 2009. And the details in the report are jarring. Uh, The former Redskins employee, quote, accused Snyder of asking her for sex, groping her and attempting to remove her clothes. End quote. The result ultimately was a reported $1.6 million settlement between Dan and the now former Redskins employee. When you take that allegation, and you pair it up with the Tiffany Johnston allegations, Uh, is it now safe to say, fair to say, accurate to say, that we have two sexual assault allegations against Dan Snyder in this workplace misconduct scandal? It
3: is. It is. And Snyder's uh, team responded to the allegations regarding what went on on the airplane by engaging in character assassination of the victim, saying that she was, you know, wearing provocative clothing and engaging in flirtatious behavior on her way to Vegas. Right. Which, you know, just um, um, as a defense lawyer, that kind of stuff just turns my stomach. Um, counterproductive, certainly, and just kind of uh, victim shaming. Um, really shocking to read.
1: It is. And so you look at everything from 30,000 feet, two sexual assault allegations against Dan Snyder, allegations of him having tried to intimidate and harass witnesses in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. And by the way, who the heck knows what's going on with this Mary Jo White investigation? Clearly, if the NFL wanted to get rid of Dan Snyder as commander's owner, the NFL by now has ample reason to try to get rid of of Dan Snyder as commander's owner. But what about potential legal ramifications? Are we now into a territory in which criminal charges could be brought against Dan?
3: Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So the alleged conduct on the airplane would be a battery in any jurisdiction in the United States. Um, An unwanted touching that puts the victim in fear, right? So he's trying to undress her against her will. Now, it's an interesting question. Whose airspace was the plane over yeah. at the time of the event? So who, who, who would have jurisdiction over what criminal um, uh, entity would be able to bring those charges? And that's 2009. Is that what I
4: recall? Yeah, yeah.
3: It's a long time ago. And again, I'm not a criminal lawyer, so I can't tell you what the statute of limitations are, but it's almost almost certainly exhausted by now with respect to that event. And the other one, I can't remember when that happened either, the, the uh, limousine event. She
1: said 5 She wasn't positive yeah, when it happened.
3: Yeah. I, think, I think it's unlikely um, um, that any jurisdiction, any criminal prosecutor um, would be able to bring charges based on those, those events at this point.
1: Not to defend Dan Snyder, but something that his camp has argued, something that some Dan Snyder defenders out there have argued is, hey, this House Committee on Oversight and Reform, its mind was made up on Dan Snyder long ago. And certainly when you read what the committee put out there on Wednesday morning, when you listen to how the House Democrats spoke at the hearing on Wednesday. I mean, clearly Dan Snyder is already guilty uh, in the minds of the committee as a whole because it is a Democratic majority and the House Democrats are very much in favor uh, of this congressional involvement with the commanders. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong. But from the perspective of trying to get Dan Snyder at this hearing on Wednesday, should the committee perhaps have softened its approach so as not to be so obvious in already having assumed guilt on the part of Dan Snyder? Or do you think that the committee looked at things as, this guy's not showing up, so we're just going to go all in and hammer this guy, even before this hearing ever happens?
3: I I think they knew that he was never going to show up. And uh, I think that uh, competent legal counsel would have suggested that it's counterproductive for him to show up. There was no way um, that that committee was going to receive him warmly. And you have to remember, the committee is not a court of law, right? So you're entitled to a presumption of innocence in the courtroom. And um, the type of evidence that comes in is tightly regulated. And the judge is the adult in the room to keep people from straying. Um, into extraneous topics none of that applies in a congressional committee as you saw today so um there is no adult in the room to ensure that a particular congressperson doesn't you know blindside you or use you as a prop for you know um b-roll for his local news back home um So he made, he absolutely made the right choice avoiding the hearing. And I don't know that there's anything the committee could have done to give him comfort that he was going to be treated um, in a dispassionate way.
1: Do you think that the House Committee on Oversight and Reform should have pursued a subpoena of Dan Snyder sooner?
3: Uh, You know, um, I think because the, Uh, it's hard to remember these things given the environment we're in. These committees are bipartisan and in theory they're supposed to work through these issues with the people on the other side of the aisle and that means sort of trying things voluntarily before you resort to subpoenas Um, and so um,
2: what they did inviting him he declines
3: then coming back to him and saying, well, you know, you can appear remotely, and we're asking you to reconsider, and Goodell's going to appear remotely, and, uh, you know, I'm sure your yacht has adequate Wi-Fi, you
4: (laughs) Um,
3: you know, I think that was probably the right choice. Now, could they have done this a little earlier so that the time frame doesn't get quite as compressed? I suppose so, but. What going
1: on on the hill this summer? So yeah, no doubt. So, with what's coming here, what Representative Carolyn B. Maloney announced at the congressional hearing on Wednesday, her intent to issue a subpoena of Dan Snyder for a deposition next week. Notable that the subpoena will not be for another hearing; the subpoena will be for a deposition. Uh, the differences between a hearing and a deposition are what. Yeah, so, so the deposition occurs in a conference room,
3: and the uh, questions are asked by staff counsel, and presumably staff counsel is not going to engage in the grandstanding um, that occurs in the committee room when the camera's rolling and everybody's watching. So it'll be a much more tempered environment in that sense. Um, but on the other hand, if you're Dan Snyder, the thing that you don't like about that environment is that because it's staff counsel, who presumably is a skilled lawyer who knows how to interrogate a witness um, and not, you know, the honorable congressperson from Podunk, um, the questioning can actually be a lot more effective. Um, So um, the deposition is out of public eye, right? So it, it, it will be recorded, certainly. There'll be a camera there, there'll be a transcript, and we will probably read about or see video of the deposition, um, but it's not going to happen live on TV with a bunch of grandstanding congresspeople.
1: So Dan Snyder with him at the deposition can have his lawyer? Absolutely. And so that's another thing about Dan Snyder not agreeing to testify at the congressional hearing on Wednesday. Had Dan testified virtually, Dan next to him would not have had his lawyer.
3: I can speak from personal experience. His lawyer would probably have agreed to go to Cannes.
1: Oh, you think so? Okay. To sit
3: by his side, yeah. I would yeah in fact if he calls me you know
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. you're up for the task
3: huh i'm up for the
1: trip anyway but i would think if you're doing what congress wanted dan to do you very much want your lawyer next to you as opposed to being in a zoom window next to you i would think that that makes a difference or am i wrong
3: 100 percent. you can't kick your client under the table (laughs) when you're on
1: zoom yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense Neil Mullen, adjunct professor at George Mason's Law School, the Antonin Scalia Law School. Neil, as a lawyer, practiced labor and employment law for three-plus decades. Neil, it is always interesting with our football team, as you well know, and uh, certainly what happened on Wednesday is not the end of this entire commander's workplace misconduct scandal ordeal. I always appreciate your insight and your time. Thank you so much, and all the best to you. It's
3: a delight to talk to you. I'll take care.
1: Well, what a mess (laughs) Wednesday night ended up being for the Nationals and the Orioles. Uh, We had game two of a two-game series at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Wednesday night was a rainy night in the Washington, D.C. area, as you likely know. Wednesday night also was a rainy night in the Baltimore area. So we, in the fifth inning, had a rain delay of around 45 minutes. The game was resumed despite the game at that point being official and despite rain very much being in the forecast for the rest of the night. Uh, We then, after six innings, had another rain delay. And then the game ultimately, mercifully, was called. And so the result ended up being a 7-0 rain-shortened six-inning Nats loss at the O's. Uh, Time of game, two hours, 32 minutes. Total time of rain delays, one hour, 46 minutes. God bless those who were at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Although those who were at Camden Yards uh, and were O's fans uh, did end up seeing the O's back in the win column. And the Orioles again
2: in the win column.
1: Yes, Joe Angel, the win column. Now, there weren't many people at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday night. Official attendance a mere 12,630, but the O's did get the win. Uh, The O's in this 2022 regular season now are 31 and 39, uh, last in the American League East. The Nats now in this 2022 regular season at 25 and 47, last in the National League East, second worst record in the NL, and the Nats have the worst run differential in the majors at minus 113. Uh, Despite this being a rain-shortened six-inning mess of a game on Wednesday night, we did have something special take place. Uh, Austin Hayes hit for the cycle. Uh, Now, Austin Hayes on Tuesday night really struggled. Hayes in the Nats' 3-0 win at the O's on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting left fielder and number four batter, 0-4 for with four strikeouts. But boy, did he bounce back on Wednesday night. Hayes on Wednesday night as the Orioles starting center fielder and number 1 batter hit for the cycle and he did this in four plate appearances. Uh Hayes went 4 for 4 with 3 RBI and 3 runs and he had an outfield assist. The guy was everywhere on Wednesday night over the six innings of the game. Uh Hayes in the top of the first threw out Juan Soto uh and by quite a bit at third base in Soto's attempt to advance two bases on a Josh Bell one-out single to shallow right center field, as we had yet another instance this season of Juan Soto making it out on the base paths. Uh, Hayes in the Orioles' one run first, a leadoff infield single up the middle. Hayes in the Orioles' two-run third, a leadoff homer to left field over the wall, over the Great Wall of Baltimore, and on an 0-2 pitch, for a 2-0 Orioles lead, the homer went a projected 405 feet per stat cast. Hayes in the bottom of the fourth, a two-out first pitch opposite field a triple off the right field scoreboard. And Hayes in the Orioles' 4-1 sixth. Uh, in the pouring rain, a two-out, two-run double to deep left center field for a 5 nothing Orioles lead. Austin Hayes, four plate appearances, gets himself the four hits necessary for the cycle, O's manager Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night, on Austin Hayes.
4: That's incredible! What a special night and beyond incredible accomplishment for a, a player to do something like that. Um, especially, you know, he had a tough night last night and comes out tonight and just has this unbelievable, epic game. So, congratulations to him. Is that what you're Is that just like? I don't know. Maybe is it like a poster child for, for an All Star Game bid? You see, like when he does stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, it's, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be shown nationally and on Sports Center and um, talked about tomorrow. So, um, you know, I hope that he, you know, people recognize it and look at see looking into start looking into the kind of year he's having because it's he's putting together a great first half.
0: The fact that he had an outfield assist to go along with it does just show the different ways that
4: Boston can... Yeah, I mean, he's impacting the game on both sides of the of the baseball. He's playing uh, incredible gold glove type defense on top of um, swinging the bat extremely well. So it's uh, it's been fun to watch his growth as a player. He's, he's starting to come and really come into his own.
1: Yeah, what a night for Austin Hayes. He has been the Orioles' best player so far this season. Uh, Austin Hayes in this 2022 regular season now, batting average of .287, on base percentage of .347, slugging percentage of .482. Uh, The O's for the game on Wednesday night, seven runs, 11 hits, two walks, three for nine, with runners in scoring position. The Nats for the game on Wednesday night, no runs, a mere three hits. Nats did work five walks, but went 0 for 1, with runners in scoring position. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday night, as was the case for the O's on Tuesday night, just one at bat the entire game with a runner in scoring position. Uh, the biggest item for the Nats on Wednesday night, another bad outing for Patrick Corbin. Uh, the Nats run of three consecutive impressive starts by starting pitchers came to an end, came to a screeching halt on Wednesday night, thanks to Patrick Corbin. Corbin on Wednesday night failed to last for more than four innings for a second consecutive start. He allowed three runs in four innings. Uh, Corbin gave up seven hits, two home runs, a triple, two doubles, and two singles. Now, he did have six strikeouts versus one walk. That's an odd strikeout to walk ratio for a guy who only lasted for four innings. And Corbin in the game did throw a lot of strikes, 83 pitches, 63 strikes, Versus just 20 balls. So this was kind of an odd final line for Corbin. But he again gave up way too many hits. Uh, Corbin in the bottom of the first, a ladder run. He gave up a leadoff infield single. To Austin Hayes up the middle. Corbin gave up a single to Trey Mancini off the glove of a leaping second baseman in Cesar Hernandez and into center field. And Corbin gave up a one out opposite field RBI double to Ryan Mountcastle off the right field scoreboard for a 1 0 Orioles lead, despite Mountcastle having been down to the count at 1.02. That was an impressive plate appearance by Mountcastle, but that also was a bad. Played appearance for Patrick Corbin in terms of having had Mountcastle down 0-2. you end up letting Mountcastle get you to the tune of a one-out opposite field RBI double. Uh, Corbin in the bottom of the third allowed two runs. Uh, he gave up a leadoff homer to Austin Hayes to left field over, yes, the Great Wall of Baltimore on an 0-2 pitch for a 2 nothing Orioles lead. Uh, the homer, as I mentioned earlier, went a projected 405 feet per stat cast. And then Corbin, in that two-run third for the Orioles, gave up a one-out solo homer to Anthony Santander to left center field for a 3 nothing Orioles lead. That homer went a projected 414 feet per stat cast. And Corbin wasn't done. He, in that inning, then gave up a two-out double to Adley Rutschman down the left field line. Corbin issued a two-out 11-pitch walk of Tyler Nevin despite Nevin having been down to the count at one point, one two, So multiple instances over just the first few innings on Wednesday night of batters being down to Corbin, 0-2 or 1-2, and Corbin not only doesn't put those guys away, but ends up putting those guys on base, and in some instances ends up giving up run-scoring hits. Uh, Corbin did toss a scoreless bottom of the fourth, but he in that inning gave up a two-out first pitch opposite field triple to Austin Hayes, off the right field scoreboard. So Patrick Corbin on Wednesday night failed to last for more than four innings for a second straight start. His previous outing came in the Nats' 10-1 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park last Thursday night. Corbin in that game, nine runs, two earned in three into third innings. He gave up eight hits in that game, including two home runs, both of which were by the ex-NAT Kyle Schwerber. Here we are now, Patrick Corbin. He has made 15 starts in the 2022 regular season. That's close to half a season for a starting pitcher because, you know, a starting pitcher who stays healthy for an entire year is going to end up making 32-34 starts. So we're not far from the midway mark here in terms of just the Nats... 2022 regular season overall, but in particular, someone like Patrick Corbin, if in fact he is staying healthy this season. And that is something that Corbin has done over these last few years. He has stayed healthy. He has posted. But Corbin now in this 2022 regular season over his 15 starts has an ERA of 660 and a whip of 179. Those numbers are atrocious and those numbers are appreciably worse than his numbers in those categories the previous two seasons. This is year three of Patrick Corbin struggling. He is significantly worse this season as compared to what he was In the previous two seasons. If you just look at his ERA, 2020 regular season, Corbin had an ERA of 466. 2021 regular season, Corbin had an ERA of 582, which was the worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors. And by the way, he had that 582 ERA despite pitching well in September. Corbin last season pitched well in four of his five starts in the month of September, still finished with the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors at 582. Well, this season, the ERA is 660. I mean, again, significantly worse than what the ERA was for last regular season, which again, he finished as having the worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors. It's not just that Patrick Corbin is still struggling, it's that he's getting worse. You know, it would be bad enough if he was at the same level that he was at last season. No, he is significantly worse this season as compared to last season. Uh, It is brutal. And he doesn't have any answers and the Nats don't have any answers at this point. You have two more seasons after this season of the Patrick Corbin contract with the Nats. A six-year, $140 million deal that he signed as a free agent in December 2018. Uh, three Nats relievers on Wednesday night combined to allow four runs in two innings. The culprit was Steve Ciszek. Rosmo Ramirez tossed a perfect bottom of the fifth. Ciszek in the bottom of the sixth allowed four runs, recorded just two outs. He gave up four hits and issued a walk, gave up a two-out, two-run double to Austin Hayes for a 5 nothing Orioles lead, gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Trey Mancini for a 7 nothing Orioles lead. Uh, Steve Ciszek, has had a rough go of it here. I liked the signing of Steve Ciszek by the Nats prior to this season. You know, a low-risk, high-upside contract. It's not like the Nats gave Ciszek a lot of money, but he has not been good. Ciszek in the 2022 regular season at 30 games, 29 in a third innings, ERA of 522, whip of 150. Uh, Andres Machado had it come into the game, bottom of the sixth, faced One batter recorded the third out. Uh, As for the Orioles pitching, uh, it was good on Wednesday night. Tyler Wells was good once again. Five scoreless innings. Uh, Wells gave up just three hits, all of which were singles. He did issue four walks. Uh, He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 95 pitches, 55 strikes versus 40 balls. You know, it's funny with Tyler Wells, he's not dominant, he does not blow you away with his strikeouts with his velocity, but Tyler Wells does continue to be effective. Tyler Wells now in this 2022 regular season, 14 starts, ERA of 334, whip of 110. And remember, Tyler Wells is making this transition from relief pitcher to starting pitcher. And at this point, I would say Tyler Wells has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher This season. In fact, it's not even a conversation at this point because you've had three guys really fall off the cliff over these last few weeks in Bruce Zimmerman, Kyle Bradish, and Jordan Lyles, although Lyles uh, was pretty good in his outing on Tuesday night. But Wells has emerged here as the Orioles' best starting pitcher so far this season. I give the guy a lot of credit. Uh, no game for the Nats on Thursday. Next up for the Nats is a three-game series at the Texas Rangers this weekend, Friday through Sunday. Next up for the O's is a four-game series at the Chicago White Sox. Game one Thursday night at 8-10. Dean Kramer, who has been good lately, versus Johnny Cueto. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 343, will be a busy show. Uh, I will talk commanders. I will review whatever it is that our Wizards end up doing in Thursday night's 2022 NBA draft. Is a big trade by the Wizards going to go down? Or are they simply going to stay? With their number 10 overall pick. Big night for the Wiz on Thursday night. And on Friday's show, we'll talk Orioles as they, on Thursday night at eight ten will begin a four-game series at the Chicago White Sox. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.
2: If the NFL is unwilling or unable to hold Mr. Snyder accountable, then I am prepared to do so. That is why I am announcing now my intent to issue a subpoena for the testimony of Mr. Snyder for a deposition next week.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.